Right on. Happy Sabbath, everyone. I, I got to look out and see some familiar faces this morning and then more familiar faces at the second service. Uh, some childhood friends, my neighbors across the street. Uh, good to see everybody today. Uh, like Mandy said, this is my home church. I grew up here. I have tons of just really good memories uh, of growing up and uh, maybe doing some reckless things with uh, the Nelson voice. <laughs> But uh, I think I, I lived at the Nelson house actually more than my house in the summertime. And so uh, Pastor Walt and Auntie Dee Dee uh, really are uh, like second parents to me. So uh, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and pray real quick as we uh, jump into God's word. Father, uh, we thank you for this day where we can come, uh, put away our worries and cares, our work, our toil, our sweat, and uh, just claim that promise. Um, that uh, where you are, we may be also. Um, and so we ask that you would draw close to our hearts and that you would teach us uh, something new today. Uh, not so that we're more learned or uh, so that we have to help our hand in some type of argument or uh, that we get puffed up. But teach us something new so that uh, we can love, so we can build up. Uh, teach us something new so we can see you in a new way. We can see ourselves in a new way. And we can see everyone and everything around us um, as you see it. Uh, redeemed, how we love to proclaim it. We pray this in your name. Amen. So uh, when uh, Pastor Tim gave me a, a, a text, I think, this week, uh, he was like, hey, man, uh, I'm not feeling good. I need some backup. Uh, can you be ready to preach? And Pastor Tim is my buddy kind of a big brother to me, and so when he asked, I said, yes, uh, and I already had a verse in mind, and this was the verse, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, uh, this verse came to me last Sabbath, actually, in the middle of the night, uh, soon after midnight, and I'll share with you a little story on why, but let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 together, if you got your Bibles or your phones, tablets, I don't care what it is, but if we could read it together, that would be helpful for us to stay on track, so Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Uh, it's a memory verse most of us have heard, know, memorized, uh, might be new to some of us today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is a favorite verse. This is like the first part you learn when you're a kid. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, some versions might say, and I'll give you rest. Uh, and all of us get to a place where we're burdened, uh, where we're just tired, where we're weary, where we're done, where we're stressed where we've had enough and we just needed to stop, right? And rest would be one of those words you describe it. My kids know when daddy's tired, daddy needs to rest. It might be, I don't want to listen to you anymore, but that's a kind of rest. It might be, I need to focus on this instead of that, because that's a kind of rest. It might be, I just want to take a nap, and oh, I love naps. I love naps so much. My kids know that if we're ever watching a movie together, there's like a 95% chance that daddy's going to go to sleep. You know why? Because I love naps more than I love movies. Naps are nice. And my kids know that if daddy's sleeping and you wake him up, a different daddy wakes up. And here's why. I got a lot of things on my mind. So when I sleep, I need it. And when I'm up, I'm up. And so we love this verse, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The second verse, though, this might be a little bit more problematic. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke. So now yoke is not part of our regular vocabulary. 
We do not talk about yokes anymore. Uh, those of you who might have grown up in a farm, maybe you did. But a yoke, if we remember, is a thing that you put on a beast of burden. It's meant so that the, the beast can be driven left or right, one way or the other. Uh, so that the beast can be connected to the one who owns it. And so that that beast can actually be connected to those who they're working with, alongside. And then whatever that contraption, that yoke, is connected to. So probably a plow in most instances, right? And so that when that beast is walking through, whether alone or with others, whatever it's doing, it's not just walking aimlessly. There's purpose, there's meaning, there's intention. And that that walk actually creates something in its wake, right? So how many of you would like to wear a yoke? Raise your hand. Anybody? Oh, maybe one person put it down, right? That's not us. In Jesus' day, everyone knew that animals had yokes, but they did too. The yoke was the teaching of the master. And so you would follow a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet. They would have their interpretation, their explanation, and their demonstration of God's word. And all of those teachings were meant for you to put on yourself if you were going to follow them. And so you would look for a master, you would look for a rabbi to follow, and then you would take their teachings and you would put them on yourself. So many of us would say, ah, I don't want any yoke on me. I want to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And I would whisper to you and say, that's a yoke. That is an explanation and a demonstration and an interpretation of how you should live your life. And I cannot tell you how many people I've run into who have done whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, and have come to me and said, my life's a mess. I'm sick of this. I'm so burdened. I'm so stressed. I need it to stop. So all of us have a yoke, an understanding of who we are, how we're connected to God, and who else we're connected with. The question is, Whose yoke are you going to take? So Jesus says, hey, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. So Jesus' yoke is supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be light. And if you're living a life burdened, tired, shackled, frustrated, weary, stressed, you name it. I would suggest you actually don't have Jesus' yoke. You have someone else's. Maybe it's your own. And very often what you and I confuse is the teachings that are in Scripture without the interpretation, explanation, and demonstration of Jesus, the rabbi, and how he lived those teachings. So Matthew eleven twenty 28-30 is actually an introduction to what Jesus does next. Because every good rabbi will say something, everyone will listen, and then the rabbi will do something, and everyone is supposed to follow. So here I'm going to show you a couple pictures on why I thought of Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Uh, so here's what happened. Midnight, we're in Waimanalo. Waimanalo does it right every New Year's, and they do it so right that we don't even spend a dime. We just look up and go, wow. And they just pop fireworks all night, right? So around 12.15, 12.20, I tell my kids, hey, let's go home. Daddy's tired. Uh, we're leaving Tutu's house from Waimanalo back to Kailua. I live right down the street from the hospital. 
And uh, we get home, and my daughter comes to me and says, Daddy, Daddy, Hula's gone. Now, here's the thing with Hula. This is her picture. Hula, uh, she came to my doorstep when she was full grown. And that's kind of a cool little miracle story, too, but another sermon, another time. Uh, but Hula is naughty. And I called her Kumuhula because she didn't listen to anybody, right? She was the boss. And so Hula, she's known in the neighborhood for jumping out. And you guys know, right? I get calls all the time. Uh, hey, your dog is loose again. And so I built up my, my, my fence over and over and over. And she just gets out all the time. And I made a mistake New Year's Eve. We are cleaning the backyard. And I let her go and I let her run around. And Daddy forgot to hook her up. So my daughter comes to me and says, Daddy, she's gone. And honestly, I don't care. I don't, because she's going to come home. As long as she's not terrorizing somebody, she's going to come home. And she's actually a nice dog. She just has tons of energy. And so, so I say, Hula, I say, I say, Leah, my daughter, I say, listen, just go to sleep. We're good. She comes back again with Isaac, and my son Isaac is weeping. He's nine years old. He's like, can we just go look for her, please? So it's like, it's like maybe close to 1 a.m., and, and I say, okay, get in the car. Let's go. And, and I have this thing with Hula. That's my whistle. She come, comes every time she hears me. Uh, except in the last maybe year and a half, she's been naughty. Like super naughty. Uh, and I told my friend, I said, hey, I broke my leg. And when I broke my leg, I saw my dog shift with me. She saw me laid up, no weight on a leg for like three months, right? And my friend was like, oh, yeah, man, you lost alpha. That's what happened. She saw you laid out in, in the pack. If a dog breaks their leg, they're done. She thinks she's the boss now. I was like, I think that's what it is. So here's what I've had to do. Uh, on the left here, you'll see her with a little run. Uh, goes across the whole yard, right? It's about a, maybe 80 feet long. So she can get a lot of exercise, but every once in a while I let her off. But she will jump over every fence I have, six feet and lower, and disappear. So we drive around the block two or three times. I do my whistle. It don't work. I'm not worried. My kids are. They're crying. We come in the house. I say, guys, let's just pray. Have a prayer for Hula. Have a prayer for us. She's going to come back. Don't worry. I lay in bed, and I barely go to sleep, and my daughter's like, Daddy, I found her. And she shows me on her phone, on Facebook, my Kailua. You've seen that with little uh, account before. Six missing dogs. <laughs> One of them's Hula. I go, oh, my goodness. I look close. I go, oh, she's at the hospital. There she is by the emergency room entrance. And the person who posted it actually is one of my departments that I oversee. And I'm like, oh, I know who that is. Oh, man, she found my dog. No way. So I text her real quick. You found my dog. She's like, oh, Jesse, this is your dog. It's my dog. I go, I'm going to come and pick her up right away. She says, oh, you can't. Someone took her home. There was a nurse who was, after a long day, 12-hour-plus shift, said, oh, poor dog. I'll take her with me. And so... There's three pictures I want to share with you. Go to the next slide, please. Lost, found, returned. Um, one of these pictures is the picture of the lost dog. One of these pictures is the picture of the found dog. And one of these pictures is the picture of the returned dog. Now, if you're having a hard time seeing it, um, one dog is pretty happy. One dog is kind of sad. And one dog is very sad. So lost, found, returned. Uh, how many of you raise your hand? You think that's the right order? Anybody? No. Okay, next one. Lost, found, returned. Raise your hand if you think this is the right order. Anybody out there? Man. One person. Thank you. It's not, though. 
I, sh I showed my daughter this slide today, and she goes, Daddy, every time I look at these pictures, I get sad. This is the right order. Next slide. Lost, found, returned. Lost dog is cold, wet, fireworks going off at the emergency room, right? With a bunch of other people who don't want to be there either. Uh, second picture is the dog that's found from the nurse. She took her home, gave her, I'm pretty sure, a warm bath. Looks like got some human bed sheets. And Hula had a slumber party with a bunch of other dogs. This is the best day of her life. We don't do this at my house. Yeah. This is returned. Her little fat brother, who's the big boy now, it was his first night away uh, with any, I should say, first night alone. He was distraught, more than the rest of my kids, crying the whole night. So he's happy, or at least concerned. But you can see Hula, right? She didn't look this way. I have a picture of her in the car. She was fine. She thought we were going hiking, I think. She didn't look this way until I did one thing. What do you think I did? Hooked her back up. She was yoked again. So let me ask you, in your relationship with God, in your interpretation, your explanation, your demonstration of life, which one is it? Very often, the teachings, the explanations, the demonstrations, the do's and the don'ts, things that we're supposed to do, the things that we shouldn't do, they get burdensome, don't they? And we get to a place where rather than us experiencing this rest that Jesus promises, this ease that Jesus promises, this lightness that Jesus promises, we get to a place where we're pretty bitter, we're pretty frustrated, we're pretty disappointed. We wish we could go somewhere else. We wish we could do something else. But God said, Jesus said, Mom said, Dad said, Grandma said, Tutu said, Pastor said, someone said, we're going to do it. So let's go into chapter 12. Because Jesus has a teaching about rest, now he's going to have an explanation and a demonstration on rest. So the biblical word for rest is Sabbath. It is. That's what Sabbath means. So Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you Sabbath. So if people hear this, they go, okay, this guy is going to give us Sabbath. Let's find out what Sabbath looks like under Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick up some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on Sabbath. Busted. God. I'm told that in Jesus' day, if you're walking through a grain field, they would harvest it. But whatever fell on the ground was open for anyone. So it's not stealing. In fact, you were supposed to leave something for the poor. Uh, and so Jesus' disciples are walking through a grain field, and they're like, Rod, did you eat breakfast? I didn't eat breakfast. Well, there's some grain right there. Oh, grab it. But it's Sabbath. But I'm hungry. But we're not supposed to work. But I'm hungry. What if someone sees us? Do it quickly. Can you see them having this conversation? 
And then one of them picks it up. And I don't know how they actually did it, but I'm heard, I heard they, they kind of grind it in their hands. And then they blow away some of the chaff, and it's like this really like great nuts, like kind of like a hearty granola. It's not something you would eat because you're, you know, just having a snack. It's because you're hungry, right? Uh, and as they're eating it, Pharisees are like, ah, see ya. Now these Pharisees, they are the people who are tasked with interpreting and explaining and demonstrating how to keep God's law. They're the religious leaders. And so they tell everyone what the rules are. And if you look at them, you'll see someone keeping all the rules. The thing is, a lot of these rules, they just made up. They know how many steps you're supposed to take on Sabbath, right? They know who can do this, who can do that, who can do this. They, they just made it up. And so they say, Jesus, uh, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. Now look at Jesus' explanation. It's a little complicated, uh, but I'm going to just point out a couple things in it. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? David, King David, he entered the house of God, the sanctuary, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only the priests. So Jesus is saying, remember that story of David? David, by, by the way, was an anointed one, a Messiah. That's what anointed one means. Oil was put on his head, and he was promised to be the ruler, the king of Israel. And so Jesus is saying, David went into the sanctuary. There was consecrated bread. The law says only priests are supposed to eat it. But David and his men eat it, and they're good. Jesus is saying, you know, I'm anointed, right? You know, I'm the Messiah, right? You know, I'm the king of Israel, right? Me and my men, we can do what we want. Then he kind of goes a little bit further. Or haven't you written the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? He says, listen, you got people working in your church on Sabbath. But they get a pass. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is saying, listen, you know about David? He gets a pass. You know about the sanctuary? They get a pass. You know about the temple? They get a pass. I'm greater than all that. And then here's the kicker. If you had known what these words mean, and listen to these words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So let me interpret that bluntly. Jesus is saying, you're accusing me, by extension, because you're accusing my followers, of breaking the Sabbath. But I'm the one that made the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So you don't know what you're talking about. And by the way, you're confusing something. Two things, mercy and sacrifice. Sacrifice is what you do for God, right? It's something that you bring to God to make yourself right with God. But God doesn't call us to do any sacrifices. Do you know that? Because God has provided the sacrifice. And so what makes you and I right with God is not the sacrifice that you and I do. It's the sacrifice that He already has given Himself, His Son. Can I hear someone say amen on that one? Yeah. So careful now. Sabbath. Is it something you do for God? Because that would be a sacrifice. And when you're making other people do it, you're asking them to give a sacrifice. And you and I got to be careful about this. Because there's a teaching about Sabbath, then there's an explanation of Sabbath, and then there's a demonstration of Sabbath. And for the most part, we Adventists are really good about teaching about Sabbath. 
Let me tell you about Sabbath. Let me tell you about Sabbath. Let me tell you about Sabbath. We get a little messy when we start explaining Sabbath. But very rarely do we say to someone, hey, can I give you a Sabbath? So sacrifice is what I do for God. You don't deserve it. You didn't pay for it. But I want to give it to you. You know what that's called? Mercy. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, there's a Bible story you know. It's in Hosea. The people of God have broken the covenant. They don't really know how to get right with God. And they're not sure how to reenact the temple services and get their sacrifices going again. And so Hosea says, listen, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You want to get right with me? You don't have to bring me a bunch of bulls and rams and blood. I don't drink that stuff. I don't eat that stuff. I'm a cattle on a thousand years. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Be merciful. Find someone in need. Find someone undeserving. Find someone you can give to. That's what I'm asking you to do because that's what I did for you. Give them a Sabbath. So Jesus is out in the field, in the world. There's hungry people there. They get to eat because it's Sabbath. Going from that place in verse 9, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on Sabbath? I didn't say this this morning, but I'm getting braver. Uh, I have to put myself in check all the time. So this is not just to you. This is for me too. Do you know how often I find myself sitting in church being critical? Looking for something that's wrong? Looking for something that should be done better. When there's people with problems in this church that God has asked us to be with. There's Pharisees in this church. There's Jesus in this church. And there's someone with a shriveled hand. The Pharisees see the problem and they go, oh, okay, I can, I can trap this guy. Hey, is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath? Theoretical, right? Let's talk about it. Besides, can he do it? Pfft, probably not. Yeah, let's just talk about this problem. Uh, by the way, just so you know, talking about problems on Sabbath is not very restful for me. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, being a part of a miracle, oh, that gets me out of bed. Yeah? Feeding somebody, that gets me out of bed. Uh, being a part of a solution, oh, sign me up, right? Uh, Giving someone a better picture of God, oh, I'll be there. Seeing a better picture of God in someone's life, yeah, me too. So this man with a shriveled hand, and these Pharisees with a shriveled idea of Sabbath. And Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, what's he going to do? So Jesus has an explanation first. He says, uh, if any of you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on Sabbath, not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, I love this question, because I could imagine a couple of Pharisees sitting in there when no one was looking, right? They're like, oh, I'm going to lose a hundred bucks. Oh, better go get that thing quick, right? Shh, don't tell anyone. I'm saving you, my sheep, right? She's like, you do this all the time. When you see something that you're going to lose, well, it's an emergency. So Jesus says, well, listen, if you can do that for a sheep, uh, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep, by the way? 
Therefore, it's lawful to do good on Sabbath. So there's the interpretation, there's the explanation. Now the demonstration. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. I love this part. Because the words here in the gospel actually are connected to the gospel throughout Scripture. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Now, we usually don't use this word sound like this anymore. But it was completely restored. Some Bibles versions say made whole, just as sound as the other. So imagine you've got a shriveled hand. The thing's useless. Worse than that, it's probably heavy. It can't even pick up its own weight. Man, you probably remember being able to use the hand, or maybe you just wish and dream sometimes of using the hand. And then one day, in church, everyone points at you and uses you as an example of what's right or wrong to do on Sabbath, right? And you're sitting there watching the conversation. <laughs> and people are arguing about you and your hypothetical hand, right? But it's a real hand. This is a real problem. And then finally, the spotlight goes on you, and this guy says, stretch out your hand. I want to ask you something. Is that a burden or a promise? Depends who's saying it, right? See, when you and I look at each other and say, hurry up, do it right, stop doing that. That feels like a burden to the person hearing it. It depends on who's saying it. But if you have no miraculous ability to take what's shriveled and make it whole, shh up. Stop talking about it. If you're not going to be a part of the miracle in any way, shape, or form, be quiet. Be quiet so that other people can hear the voice of the Lord of the Sabbath the good shepherd, saying, stretch out your hand. What we should and shouldn't do. Instead of showing us, by example, what it looks like to carry the yoke of Jesus. And every once in a while you see it. Maybe it's your own saying, nah, you know what, though? Uh, whatever, whenever, how? Those things. Or you might hear a voice that says, yeah, but... You remember, you gave God a chance once, and he failed you. Don't give him a chance again. Whatever those voices are, let me tell you something. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. So if you are living a life where you're like, you know what? There's something better for me. Jesus is saying, I've got it. But there's a yoke. There's not a... Is there a yoke? Is there not a yoke? All of us will have a yoke. Whose yoke are you going to live under? And so this man with the shriveled hand, because it's a promise, not just a commandment, a promise, stretches out, holds the other. So in the Bible, we're told again and again, beware of, of false teachers, beware of false doctrine. What we're not told in the Bible is, therefore, go find correct doctrine or right doctrine. Now, if I was writing the Bible, that's how I would write it. I would say all of our doctrine needs to be right. Uh, what the Bible uses to describe good doctrine is this word sound doctrine. It's a couple times in Timothy, and it's at least once in the book of Titus. 
We're told to make sure our doctrine is sound. What does that mean? Well, if we go to the shriveled hand story, he reaches out and it's restored just as sound as the other. That means whatever teaching, whatever doctrine you have, uh, it's supposed to do something. It's supposed to give you an ability to reach out. It's supposed to give you some capability to do more. And if it's something that you just know, it's probably not sound. It might be right. For instance, what day is Sabbath? Seventh. Oh, you're right. But is it sound? And what I love about this is have you, have you ever heard a good sound before? Have you ever heard a good sound before? Yeah. I mean, there's something beautiful about it, right? It's not just right. I mean, these guys singing praise, this is a gift that they have, right? Uh, you get me up there, I might hit the right note sometimes and be right, 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 but the sound is not going to be the sound, right? Sabbath is not this thing where you get right. Sabbath is this thing where all of a sudden people go, wow, oh, do that again. On a whole. Wait, wait, teach me how? Oh, where'd you learn that? I get to go a little longer because in service. Poor you, lucky me. <laughs> but ma'am, it's about mm, like six years ago at my church in Kailua. And uh, uh, it was an epic Sabbath. And it just so happened we're going over the fourth commandment uh, on Sabbath, part of the series. And it started with a beach baptism, epic Sabbath. So we're having a great time. Um, and uh, my, I wanted, run into my wife's, uh, uh, they, they're in the wedding industry, and I think her husband and uh, my wife's friend, her, their husband and them had gone from the wedding industry to kind of like the restaurant industry too. So you talk about one stressful industry to another stressful industry. And, and we're there all early at Kalama Beach Park, and they come up to my wife and they're talking, she introduces them to me. And, and they're like, what are you guys doing here? And I was like, oh, we're here with our church, and, and we just had a baptism. And they're like, oh, that's amazing. We're believers too. And I was like, oh, awesome. And I was like, so what are you guys doing here? And they said, oh, man, we're just, oh, we're just so tired. And, you know, running the business. And then we thought, you know what? We need a Sabbath. So my wife and I decided not to work today, but to take the kids to the beach so we could have a Sabbath. And I said, wow. I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to my church today, and I'm going to preach about Sabbath. You mind if I share your guys' story? And they're like, oh, yeah, why? I said, oh, because uh, you're not really keeping the Sabbath. <laughs> you know, I'm joking, right? I did that to my church that Sabbath. I was like, yeah, I met them on the beach. And I was like, oh, you're going to the beach on Sabbath. You're not keeping Sabbath in my church. Like, oh, why would you do that? And I said, what are you going to do next? You're going to go back to work next Sabbath, aren't you, right? Well, let me tell you something. I said, you know what? That's beautiful. Well, God put on your guys' heart. That's amazing. Right on. And can I just tell my church that you guys are having a Sabbath. And we're having a Sabbath. And you know the Lord of the Sabbath, and we know the Lord of the Sabbath. And this Sabbath thing isn't ours, it's His. And so God can whisper to someone and say, hey, come get a Sabbath with me. And He doesn't have to route it through Pastor Jesse. How's that one? 
I share that story because it reminds me again and again that the Sabbath promise, right, is not mine, it's his. And very often what we're doing is we're sharing shriveled examples of things that we're burdened with, that we're heavy with, and we're asking someone else to do it just like us. Sabbath, and you could take any teaching, any doctrine in Scripture and ask yourself this. What did Jesus teach about it? How did Jesus explain it? How did Jesus do it? Any teaching in Scripture. The foods we eat. The relationships we have. The children we raise. The spouses we're faithful to. The churches we are part of. Any teaching... What did Jesus teach about it? How did Jesus explain it? And what did Jesus, how did Jesus do it? You and I will find that if it's heavy, we're doing it wrong. And if someone is having a great time at this thing, having a blast, loving it, they're probably doing it right. And you and I shackling them and burdening them with the stuff that we think we're supposed to carry is not our calling. You and I actually going to them and saying, stretch out your hand and stretch out your legs and walk a little faster and turn to the left and turn to the right, that's just a burden. But if you and I can trust that the same Jesus who called us can call them, maybe we'll see miracle after miracle. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy and it's light. Jesus is calling us home. Each one of us has been lost. Maybe there's someone today that is lost. I'm telling you, whatever yoke that is that's leading you to a lost place, Jesus has one better for you. Maybe you've been found. Maybe there are things in your life that are constantly reattaching you to things that are not of God. Whatever it is, here's my challenge for us today. May we find a Savior who's giving us rest. Let's pray. God, there's promises in your word, and sometimes because we don't hear you speaking to us, those promises sound heavy. They sound burdensome. They sound like someone telling us what to do. Today, may we hear your promise and what you've already done. You've given us your very self so that we could be connected, grafted into you. May today we live a life of adoption. Not heavy laden, but equipped, called, taught, and empowered to live out a life full of the Holy Spirit so that when people see us, they see a reflection of you. Today, there's somebody struggling with your teaching on Sabbath, wondering, hey, this is just a burden. May they introduce themselves to the Lord of the Sabbath who can make all things light. There's someone today who's struggling with forgiveness and they're wondering if they've been forgiven by you May today you teach them of the forgiveness that they've already had so that they can give it to someone.
else. There's someone here today that's struggling with their relationship with this church. May you teach them what it's like to be connected to a body that's working in your work, doing miracle after miracle. Today, Lord, there's someone who's broken in their relationship with their family. May you hear, may they hear your voice calling out to them, stretch out. And whatever's shriveled right now in our lives, may it be completely restored. May it be sound. And may we praise you because of what you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.